story about a child with anthropomorphic intelligence. Maybe uh, my oldest son was, was camping wolves. Please do that ministry. My son's watching you guys all the time. My, my oldest son, Josh, was, was, uh, came to the Lord through Child Evangelism Fellowship. So, uh, so I, I praise God for, uh, for your, your work and, and the work of Child Evangelism. Um, so uh, it's great to be here with you. Um, so I work in Brooklyn. I work in New York. And uh, you guys watch the news. Does anybody not watch the news here? Uh, it, it's, it's been crazy. Uh, what's been going on in New York, what's been going on in Seattle, what's been going on in, in Portland, what's been going on in Chicago and Atlanta and, and, and Kenosha and, and uh, you know, you name it now. Louisville, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's craziness. We're seeing a, 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 the world sort of going, uh, going bananas out there. And you, you get to sort of ask, what in the world is going on? Um, and uh, that is, that is the question that the people in Brooklyn were asking, and we knew it, we could feel it as leaders of, of the congregation, we could feel what was going on, and, and uh, we felt we needed to address that, address the issue of what in the world is going on. Uh, and so we did, we did a, um, I think it was almost a 12-part series uh, together with my, my preaching partner, uh, Bobby. I uh, did a 12-part series on uh, the, the elements of, of the, the, what's happening behind the scenes, the spiritual the spiritual realities going on behind the scenes and, and what we're facing now in, in our culture and in our world. Um, and uh, a little bit of background, I think I've shared my testimony with you that I, I, I came out of, when I was in college, uh, I, I, um, I, I, I adopted a, a sort of a, a, uh, a theoretical Marxist uh, belief uh, and, and my, my early days there, and I can explain that to you in a bit. And so I have a background in Marxism. You know, and, and I was a social thought and political economy major in college, uh, and that may give you a, give an idea as to why uh, some context for this message uh, as 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 I address it. Um, uh, it is it is uh, it, it is a message, uh, a, a, an understanding, a, a sort of a biblical, theological, spiritual understanding of what we're going through as a culture, and that's uh, sort of what we're after uh, in in uh, in this series. So uh, so I'm I'm going to share with you uh, now. Um, sort of try to answer some of the questions as to what in the world is going on today. And really, the, the, uh, the answer is nothing new. Uh, nothing new is really happening. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's really the same old story. It may look a little different. It may, may feel new, but it's really the same old story. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a, a book. I've been reading a book by Friedrich Heinrich, uh, Hayek, and it's called The Road to Serfdom. Uh, and he, in his writing, uh, he's writing this book in 1944. Just, just before the end of World War II, and, uh, and about 75 years ago. But it sounds like he's writing today. It sounds like he's writing right in our time today. Uh, Hyatt says that the collectivism, the, uh, the, uh, the secularism uh, of the USSR and of Nazi Germany, remember this is 1944, uh, and it's the same thing. That, that the collectivism and, and socialism that you see in Nazi Germany uh, and, and in USSR is really basically the same thing that there's nothing new throughout history, especially in post-enlightenment history. Statism, if you will, it's another way of saying it. Statism, collectivism, socialism, there's all different kinds of words for it, uh, is, is failed over and over and over again. Now, Hyatt is a Nobel Prize winning economist, uh, and, he, and he explains in great detail why it always fails. It's been tried over and over again, and, and it, it always fails. Yet people never stop trying it. It never seems to go away. 
know, and there's a reason for that. That's where I'm, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going. You know, um, and I, I thought when the, when the wall came down in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, that, that, that finally people were going to realize the, the failure of this system, uh, that, that, that it just doesn't get you anywhere. I thought, I thought that, uh, that this system would go away now. Uh, and uh, I thought that it, it showing that it didn't work, but it, it, it didn't matter if it didn't work anymore. It doesn't go away. Just because it fails, it doesn't mean it doesn't go away. I've come to realize the persistence of this uh, statism, socialism, collectivism uh, is a secular religion. Uh, it's held near and dear as, as any false religion uh, to, it, to its adherence. It's all about belief in its tenets, not if it actually works. That's the problem. It doesn't actually work. And, but, but believing in its tenets is, is the most important thing. And today I want to look at that belief system and then the spiritual and theological realities that undergird this persistent demand for radical social change. Folks, as believers, we are called to bless the culture. We are, we are called to be salt and light in the culture that, that we are called to. We're called to preserve the culture. We're called to illuminate the culture. Today, I want to help us, equip us in that regard. Today, I want to look at how we need to understand what we're up against when we're, when we're trying to help the culture through the craziness that we're going through today. First of all, we need to understand the demand for radical social change. Am I getting that up? Okay, good. Um, so you can, you can advance the tape next. Uh, next time, next one. Okay, there we go. We need to understand the demand for radical social change by understanding the underlying principles of human nature at work throughout, through the story of the Tower of Babel. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And uh, we will read the, the, story of the, 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 the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, now the entire earth had the same language with the same vocabulary. When they, tra when they traveled eastward, they found a valley plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them until they are hard. So they used bricks for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower whose top reaches into, hea in, into heaven. So, uh, so let's make a name for ourselves or else we will be scattered over the face of the whole land. Then Adonai, the Lord, came down to the city and the tower that the, son, that the son, uh, sons of men had built. And the Lord said, look, the people are one, and, uh, are one, and all of them have the same language. So this is what we have begun to do. Now, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand each other's language. So the Lord scattered them from there over the face of the entire land, and they stopped building the city. That is why the, the, name, the name Babel, because Adonai confused the languages of the entire world there. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the entire world. Okay, so when God made the world, he made the world good. Right? It's, that's what it says almost every, after every day in, in, the, in the creation account. It says that, that, that evening and morning, uh, and uh, it, was, it was the first day, and God saw it, and it was good. Right? When he made man, what did he say? It was very good. Tov ma'ov. It was, it was very good. Okay? So, so God, is, God is trying to create the good. Creation 
is the story of, of, of the, the glorious expression of the goodness of God. It's a beautiful expression of God's goodness. It is God's goodness on display for all to see. But not only was creation an expression of God's goodness, goodness is what he wanted his creation to experience. He wanted them to understand goodness. When God saw man by himself, what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. Right? He said it was good, the creation was good, but it is not good for man to be alone. But he didn't stop there. He also provided a suitable helper for the man, Genesis 2.18. Why? So that he would have what was good in his life. God wanted the man and the woman to have what was good in their lives. That's why he made them in his image and gave them perfect corresponding companionship and placed them in a good place, the Garden of Eden, where they would prosper, where they would do well, where they would experience the good. A place where we would say today uh, they would experience human flourishing. Uh, A garden of delight, El Paradiso. It was just this gorgeous, wonderful place. Since, Since God is man's maker, he knew what was good for the man and for the woman. In other words, God demonstrated to the man and to the woman that he, that he desired that they would have what was good for them in their lives. There was no reason to question that God wanted good for his creation. So when the Lord told the man that he could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would have no reason not to believe that, that obeying that command would be the right thing to do, the good thing to do. There was no reason not to believe that the, that the Lord had his best interests in mind and to do that. Because the Lord said, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There was no reason to doubt that. God had shown that he was providing the good for them. But for some unknown reason, the woman and the man were not satisfied with the good that the Lord God was bringing into their life. They wanted to have what was good without God. That's the story of, of Genesis 3. The man and the woman wanted what was good without God, as if that was possible. That's not good. Not only did they they not get anything good out of their rebellion against God, they became estranged from God in a true sense uh, from his goodness, and they were cast out of the good place and created for them to have intimate fellowship with him, and they were exiled from the special presence of God. They could not, which, is, which is sort of the great symbol of their estrangement from God. They were cast out of the garden and sent into exile. We'll talk about that in a moment. So it's interesting when, when the author of Genesis tells us about this exile, uh, he tells us the direction that the exiles are going in, right? Anybody remember what direction that was? East. That's right. He, sent, he, sends, them, he sends them to east. He drives man out of the garden and he places cherubim at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword at the east side of the garden. Why? Because they'd been sent out eastward. You know, so they couldn't come back, come back into the garden. Adam's exile was to the east. Interestingly, when Cain is punished by God for murdering Abel, the author notes, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Is this a coincidence? I think not. For when we come to the story of the aftermath of the flood and the sons of Noah spreading out over the earth, they are doing so in an easterly direction. They're all going east. Let the reader be warned. This is, this is not a promising development for the sons of Noah. All right, They're going in the wrong direction. 
So let's read uh, Genesis uh, 11, 1 and 2 again. Now the entire earth had the same language with the same vocabulary. When they traveled eastward, they found a, a, a valley plain in the land of Shinar and settled there in the land, in the land of Shinar. Uh, it's a movement away from Eden, away from the special presence of God, away from the place of, of, of the good place of God and the good plan of God of blessing for their lives. So they get to the plain in Shinar, which later becomes, uh, became known as Babylonia or, or Babylon. It's the place where, interestingly enough, Israel is exiled, Judah is exiled in 586 BC. They go east to Babylon, right? Once again, the place of exile. But even worse, the text says they settled there. They settled in that area. One of the Lord's commands to the man, to the, to the, to the man and the woman was to rule over the earth and also to fill the earth, all right, to, to, to fill the entire earth and subdue it. Here the author says the descendants of Noah settled in the They weren't spreading. They were settling in the land of Shinar. So we see the sons of Noah moving away from God, moving away from his plan, away from his purpose. And they're settling now in the land of Shinar. That's, that's the story of the vast majority of people to this very day, moving away from the special presence and the special plan of God and rebelling against the special plan of God for their lives. This is not going to end well for the sons of Noah. And it's not going to end well for all like-minded sons of Noah down through the ages. Running away from God and his plan is, is always a bad idea. It was a bad idea for them. It's going to be a bad idea for, for, the, for the, those who come after them. So next, okay, the, the, the second point now is we need to understand the demand for radical social change, uh, not only by understanding people as naturally moving away from God in the place of his blessing, but also understanding people as naturally seeking glory for themselves and not from, from God. People naturally seeking glory for themselves and not from God. Five times in these short two verses, uh, verse, let me read that verse three and four for you. Um, so, uh, so they use, uh, let, me, let me go, there it is. Okay. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them until they are hard. So they used brick for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower whose top reaches into heaven. So they made a name, so we, let's, let's make a name for ourselves or else we will be scattered over the face of the whole land. Five times in these short two verses, the sons of Noah use the third-person plural pronoun. Come, let us make bricks. Come, let us bake fire. Come, let us build ourselves a city so that we may uh, make a name for ourselves. Yeah, little, little focus here. Okay, they're, they're, they're focused on themselves here. They think they're, it's a radical uh, uh, self-interest that's going on here. And, and what they can do, and, and who they are, and what they can do. Now, why? It says so in the text. Why? It says, first of all, they can make a name for themselves. They can, they can glorify themselves. And also, secondly, so that we will not be scattered over the face of the whole earth, in, in contradistinction of the desire of God for them to fill the entire earth. Okay, so, so they're, they're told to fill the earth. They don't want to. They want to stay in the plain of Shinar, the plain in Shinar. And secondly, they want to make a name for themselves. They want to glorify themselves, not God in the process. Just like the first man and the first woman, these folks want to do what is good, that is making a name for themselves uh, and, and not being scattered uh, without trusting God, without the help of God. In fact, 
There is no desire to have God involved in this process at all. In fact, the implication of the story is that they seem to understand that they are resisting the, the, the God's will for their lives. They, are, they, are, they don't want to fill the whole earth. They want to stay put. They want to hang together uh, in this one place. And they don't want to go off and, and, and fulfill God's plan for the world that he's made. They don't want to do that. They want to build their own glorious city, their own glorious tower in rebellion to the will of God and to gain fame and glory for themselves. If it doesn't sound familiar, it should. It should, it should very much. In many ways, this story anticipates the history of our broken world uh, that we live in, a history of man's desire to live without reference to God. Without, in, in, without involving himself with God and to glorify himself in the process. It is the same sin that we see in the Garden of Eden, that people want the good without God. They want what's good, but they don't want it with God. They want to be like God themselves. That's what's going on. This is the problem that we have faced from the very beginning, and we still face today. This has been seen in the rise and falls of brutal empires that we've seen throughout human history. Uh, that, that uh, to be sure, we need government. Government is, is, is essential. Uh, few of us would want to live in the days of the judges, right, where every man did what was right in his own sight, the sort of a radical individualism uh, that, that existed back then and the chaos that, that uh, happened as a result of that, this, this radical autonomy that they tried to have for themselves and lawlessness and chaos and misery that we see in the book, in the book of Judges. Okay, that's one end of the governing spectrum. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. The other extreme is not any better. In fact, I think it's worse. Uh, who of us would want to live in a world of total control of a central authority? Who would want to live in a world where, where you're living under total control, totalitarian control of essential authorities? What we might call a radical collectivism or, or a, a, radical, a radical socialism or communism or, or, or some totalitarian scheme. But while we may not want to live under such a slavish condition, there's no end of people in the world who want to uh, impose that on other people. There, there, there's, there's no end of people, there's no shortage of people that would like to control your life, right? would like to control what you do and what you think and what you say and all of that. Who, uh, there, there's, we never seem to run out of people like that. They, they seem to be everywhere. History is replete with them. Uh, there is a, a natural sinful impulse in the human spirit to want to control other people around them, uh, to confiscate the fruit of their labor and to use the fruit of their labor that, and the, the value of that for their own purposes, uh, for their own desires, for what they think is right. Tyrants have done this in the beginning of human history. It may take on many forms and, and many isms and many, and, and many different philosophies, but the root lies in man's impulse to replace God, just like in the garden, just like in the plains of Shinar, at, at, at the city of, uh, of Babel and, and uh, in the plains of Shinar. This is also an impulse that we see in demand for radical social change. Now, to be fair, there are people out there uh, to, uh, who want to see social change or so, uh, social justice who really want a better world. They're, they're seeking for a better world. I was one of those people. I told you that when I was in college. I was one of those people. I, I, I was attracted to socialism. I was attracted to that because it, it promised a more equitable world. It promised a fairer world. Uh, a world uh, would be a better place. Everyone would be working for, instead of in competition with each other, everybody would be working for the common good of the whole. They would be, instead of competition, there would be cooperation. 
Uh, we, would, we would be, um, we would, we'd be re redistributing wealth in a more equitable way, a fairer way. Um, but we could create the conditions also on, in, as because of that, 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 work, that the workplace and the home would, would be even a, a, a kinder, more democratic, more just, more, more righteous place, if you will. Okay, so there are many people who, who actually firmly believe this. They, they, they grab a hold of this. The, the problem is, and that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good that we have a, a more just, uh, equitable, and, and fair world to live in? We all, we all sort of want them. The, the devil's in the details. The devil's in how to get there. That's the problem. Um, but as the saying goes, the, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's one thing to want a more just and equitable world. It's another to actually create one without destroying everything in its path, without destroying culture, without destroying economy, without destroying the body politic, without destroying it all in the process by going against the, the very nature of man in order to do it, which is exactly what happens uh, and will continue to happen if, for people who want to realize this utopian collectivist vision uh, that they have in their minds. Yeah, socialism fails wherever it is tried. Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, they've all tried this ruinous experiment with collectivism. Um, many, there may be some people here who've experienced that firsthand or people who are listening on Facebook that have experienced that firsthand. In Brooklyn, we have lots of Russian Jewish people who join us. And, and uh, they, they experienced this firsthand, the devastation uh, that, that these, these systems have had on, on, on everything, on, on, their, on their souls, on their spirits. Uh, we, are just, we are just told, but we're told in our country, we just never, our country, we've just never done it right. You know, if we, if we do it right, then, uh, then it, it will work. Um, it needs to be democratic, uh, or, or liberal democracies have undermined you know, the, uh, the socialist experiments that have gone out there. Uh, the excuses go on and on about this. Or they may make up stuff like, well, well, look at Scandinavian countries, how well they're doing with socialism. Except when you go to those Scandinavian countries and, and you say to them, well, how's your socialism working? They'll say, we're not socialists. We're, 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 free, mar we're free market capitalist countries who have a social welfare system. The, 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 the goose that lays the golden eggs is free market capitalism. You know, the, uh, but we, have an, we just have an extensive social welfare system to go along with it. So with all the failures, why won't this socialist collectivist nightmare go away? Why is it making such a, a, a comeback? Why is it making such a, a, a resurgence, especially amongst our young people today in our culture? Well, there are a lot of reasons, some of which I've just gone over, but there are deeper reasons grounded in the brokenness of human nature that we need to be aware of if we're going to, if we're going to have a voice in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the discussion that's going on today in our culture. It has to do with human hubris. I don't know a better word for it. Pride, hubris, you know, whatever it is. Excessive pride, uh, self-confidence in, hum in, in human strength, in human ability. For in order for these systems to work, uh, you have to have people who have godlike wisdom, people who have godlike power, people who have a godlike presence and oversight over all things. There just seems to be no end of people who imagine that, that they have or could have these qualities in order to shape and mold a system, an equitable, perfect, utopian system out there. Now, allow me to explain this. There are only two ways you can organize and operate an economy, for instance. 
either by impersonal market forces of supply and demand, or in a, or in a capital, as in a, as in a capitalist economy, or by central planning and uh, by a government entity. It's really, those are the only two ways. Once you start doing planning, you, you've sort of kicked out the, uh, the marketplace uh, way. So you really can't have both at the same time. You have one or the other. You have either have central planning or you have, uh, you have a, a, a free market system. The problem is with trying to uh, centrally plan an economy is that, is, that, uh, is that we lack what theologians would call omniscience. Um, we don't know all things at one, at, at, at all things all at once at one moment. We just don't know all the millions upon millions of factors that are at work in people's desires to work, to invest, to buy, to sell all kinds of goods and services. Again, let me, let me read this quote from Hyatt and uh, just follow with me. I'll, I'll explain it at the end. I know it's going to be a little, little bit hard to follow, but I think it's worth, worth reading. Hyatt says, nobody can consciously balance all, consideration, all considerations bearing on the decisions of, of millions and millions of individuals. This cannot be done by conscious control. All the details of, of the changes constantly affecting conditions of demand and supply of the different goods and services can never be fully known or quickly enough collected and disseminated by any one central planning entity. What is required is some apparatus of registration which automatically records all relevant effects of the individual's actions and whose ind indications are at the same time the, relevant, the, uh, the resultant of and guide for all individual decisions, unquote. In English, no one has enough knowledge or wisdom or oversight to plan an economy. If they think otherwise, it is the height of Hoover's. You can't do it. Only what Hayek calls the price system in a, totally com a truly competitive marketplace can accomplish all this. All I'm trying to say is it, to run a central economy, it requires God-like qualities to make it work, which we don't have. That's the problem. This is why central planning fails every time. It's why the USSR was 50 years behind the West at the end of the Cold War in, in their economy. They, they could build a rocket you know, to, send, to send in space, but they couldn't bring a potato to market. I know, I've, I've, been, to the, I've been to the Soviet Union three times and, and worked there. Uh, it, it's, it's a basket case, economically. But central planning continued despite the abject failure of 75 years of the USSR. Why? Again, excessive pride and self-confidence of human beings. It's akin to narcissism. Men imagine themselves wise and knowledgeable enough to anticipate the astounding complexities of the, market, of the marketplace, of supply and demand. When they failed this fool's errand, they resorted to attempts to control the economic activities of other people. Did you know that that's what they did in the Soviet Union? They tried to control people's economic activities. Like, you, like they're starting to do in our country as well. Uh, infamously forcing farmers to collectivize their, their own, against their own economic best interests uh, into a second serfdom that, that occurred in the Ukraine and parts of Russia during the Stalinist period. And, and that led to starvation and death of between 7 and 14 million people because they forced them to, into collectives and they starved them to death as a result of that. 
Stalin himself admitted to about 10 million deaths to, to, to Churchill about this. It was an unmitigated disaster, repeated in different forms and different degrees in centrally planned economies around the globe. Think Mao's Cultural Revolution in China and the killing fields of Pol Pot in Cambodia, and we could go on. Finally, people who seek to control the lives of others must know what those other people are doing at all times, what they're saying, what they're thinking, that they, they need the, the, the godlike quality of omnipresence. They need to be there all the time, hearing and thinking, hearing and finding out what everybody's thinking and feeling and doing in their lives. They, they, they need the surveillance state. They need secret police reporting on people. They need high-tech invasions of privacy, tracking people with technology and their cell phones, as we see today. China is, has gone all out on this, basically giving social grading system to their people. If, if, if they behave themselves and do what they're told, they get to have more freedom. If they don't, then it gets taken away. Folks, with all the technological advances in this world, it's only going to get worse and worse. But we should not be surprised by all of this. People who want to live their lives without reference to God end up wanting to be God-like themselves. That's the problem. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. Those sons of Noah on the plains of Shinar, the sons and daughters of Noah on the plains of Shinar, they wanted to be like God. And, and so uh, this anti-freedom focus and this modern push for socialism, these folks want to be like God. Folks, there is no such thing, by the way, as democratic socialism. It's a myth. It never existed because socialism requires coercion. By definition, socialism requires coercion as it runs against the best interests of the individuals under its supervision. This is by definition. You, you, it's the whole idea. It's a collectivist idea. You have to do what's good for the whole, not for the individual. So you, have, you must sacrifice the individual for the common good of the whole. Folks, that's why, uh, th that's why these folks you see on the streets are, are attacking the very foundations of, of our country, which is, which is, which is a, 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 a individual based on individual freedom. That's why they're not only trying to tear down the statues of Lee and Stonewall Jackson, they're trying to tear, tear down the statues of Washington and Jefferson and Adams and Madison and Hamilton and Franklin. They want to tear them all. Even, even Abraham, poor Abraham Lincoln in Boston had his statue uh, torn down because, because, because that's where it all comes from. It comes from the way that our nation was founded because they read their Bible and they understood what the Bible taught and that you needed to protect individual human freedom first if you were going to have a just society and an operational society. See, folks, we need to understand the demand of radical social change by understanding people as naturally moving away from God and the place of his plan and blessing, also, by understanding that people as naturally seeking glory for themselves, not God. But finally, by understanding people as supernaturally the object of God's severe mercy. Thank God. Look at verses 5 through 9. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men, or the sons of Noah, had built. And the Lord God said, look, the people are one, and all of them have the same language. So this is what they have begun to do. Now, nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so they, so they will not understand each other's language. 
So the Lord scattered them from there over the face of the entire land, and they stopped building the city. This is why it is named Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the, uh, of the entire world there. And from there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the entire world. Okay, so uh, we, we, this, this, this one final thought. The Lord has come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now, this passage always confused me. Anybody's ever been confused by this passage? This passage always confused me. Why, in the, why was the Lord seemingly so opposed to human achievement, right? These guys are building a city. They're building a tower to reach, to reach to the heavens. You know, the, it's like the Empire State Building or, or the Freedom Tower. You know, they're, they're building this great, glorious tower in, in the city. It, it, it seemed as if the Lord was against human progress, against human flourishing. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me why the Lord would do that. Am I the only one? Because I saw one hand back, the, back there. You know, I was wondering, why, now why would God do this? But as I read the passage over and over, I finally dawned on me, you know, what, what the Lord was doing. In confusing their languages, the Lord was acting in mercy towards mankind. Centralized power, the kind that was growing there on the plains of Shinar, was exceedingly dangerous. Evil people would eventually hatch evil plans. And in their, and in their constant, in this, and in this, this state of evil that they were in, they would succeed in their evil plans and the world would, be, would suffer terribly from that. In fact, the world would fall apart quickly if God hadn't done something quickly. You guys understand what I'm saying? God had to break up what was happening on the plains of Shinar to save the world. Otherwise, their evil plans would have been successful and the whole world would have suffered an unraveling much sooner. Even small nation states led by evil people have, have perpetrated such evil on the face of the planet, have they not? Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, Mao's China, Pol Pot's Cambodia, Idi Amin's Uganda, Castro's Cuba, I could go on and on. Of, of, of just small countries doing horrible things to their people. As a result, and it goes on and on. Can you imagine if there was one world government? Can you imagine if there was one centralized world government and whose plans were successful and, and, and they had domination over the, over the whole earth, what they might do? Well, you don't really have to imagine. There's a whole book of the Bible about that, isn't there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The book of the Revelation. That's right, the Revelation of John, the book of Revelation, where power is concentrated in the hands of this ten-state monster that we see led by the, the dragon, Satan, and the beast, the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And, and, and in, their, in their hubris, in their pride, they, they massacre people, especially the saints of God, to the point you, can't, you couldn't even buy or sell anything without having the mark of the beast on you, you know, the, whose number was 666. And, 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 and either on your forehead or on the back of your hand. Talk about godlike power over the inhabitants of the world. This is what would have happened on the plain of Shinar a lot earlier if God hadn't, hadn't moved and broken it up. Folks, when the Lord God confused those languages those, and scattered those people over the face of the earth, he was buying thousands of years for mankind and enabling him to... Uh, unfold his plan of salvation for mankind on the earth. It was all part of God's plan. The, the, the breaking up of what happened on that plane there was part of God's plan so that he would have time 
to, to, uh, to br uh, bring forth uh, and uh, unfold his glorious plan for salvation for mankind. Enough time for his plan of sal salvation and blessing to be, to be uh, seen by all. And that plan was perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus the Messiah, right? Who uh, in the fullness of time comes to us, lives a perfect life, dies for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins, rises to new life and gives new life to all who believe. If you're out there today and you've never given your life to Jesus the Messiah, the Savior and Lord, out there on Facebook here in this, in the, in this um, sanctuary downstairs, if you've never done that, now is the time to do it. Now is the day of salvation. The story of the Tower of Babel is a story of the severe mercy of God for lost mankind. So how do we as believers respond to all this? What's our response to this? Especially in light of the prophecy and revelation of the coming one world government that's going to become. I think the answer lies again in the severe mercy that we see on the plains of Shinar. By breaking up the party, the Lord brought the, brought, bought the world time. Time to seek him. Time to repent of their sin. Time to believe in him. And that's our job too, as, as those who are salt and light on this earth. Our job is to preserve the world, to give it time, time for repentance, time for faith, to illuminate the gospel to the world, through our life, through our words, through, through whatever God can do, through, through mission that we're doing to one another. You guys are a wonderful mission church, supporting so much work around the world. You extend your, you extend your influence everywhere around the globe because of this, and you're doing the work of, of salt and light uh, to the world around you. Maybe we should do the same in our individual lives. Peter says it, doesn't he? In, in first, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says that the judgment of God is delayed, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Even God himself is delaying his judgment to give people time to repent of their sin. We are called to be salt and light in our world, to, to preserve it and to illuminate it. Culturally, we need to constantly remind our fellow citizens that we are not God, that we, that we do not have the wisdom or the power or the presence to sensually control anything, that we don't have the ability to be able to do that. Any attempt to go about and doing that is a fool's errand. It will never work because people are broken. You're broken. I am broken. That's why we need a Savior. See how this all fits into the gospel and gospel ministry. We need to raise our prophetic voices about our brokenness, our need, uh, our need to counter this excessive hubris, this pride, this self-sufficiency that, that, that is part of this collectivist dream. Have you seen those people on the streets? Have you seen how sure they are that they're right? That they're willing to hurt other people? That they're willing to smash down uh, uh, businesses? That they're willing to shoot people on the street? They're so sure they're right? They're so sure that they have the right ideas, the right system? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the hubris that, uh, that exists in our culture? We need to get our culture back to a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of mankind. That's what woke, if you will, if you can use the term, that's what woke me up to the realization that socialism could never work. As our, as our founders said, our, the founders of our country said, men are not angels. And that's how they built our system. 
They understood that men were not angels. And, that, and that's why they, they decentralized power. That's why they diffused power. That's why they protected individual rights, because they knew that men and women were not angels. Finally, we have, we have a gospel mandate. Ultimately, people are looking for solutions to the problems that we face. Our message is that our problem is spiritual and requires a spiritual solution. God has not abandoned us. On the contrary, he has provided a solution, a spiritual solution in the person of Jesus the Messiah. People, people who humble themselves before God and put their trust in Jesus the Messiah and submit themselves to his rule and reign in his life, just as we sang earlier in the service, Lord, reign in me, Lord, rule in me. Then we, the, we are, we are, this gives us the best chance to live. If we do this, it gives us the best chance to live in a just and righteous and peaceful society. There's no other, I think, I think a Churchill once said it, you know, demo, uh, uh, democratic capitalism is the worst system in the whole world except every other system. You know, there, there, it's because it's, it's based on human nature. It's based on our need for God. The collectivist and utopian dream will never, ever be realized. It'll be, a, it'll be a nightmare each and every time. The best we can ever do is to be one nation under God. But we, can't, we cannot help our culture in our own power, in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit changing us from within, empowering us to speak with courage and love and power and faith to, to a broken, desperately dying world. We need to love our culture enough to take a stand in these, in these matters. We need to have the courage and the faith in God that as we speak the truth in love to our culture, that, that we, will, we will act as salt and light and, and, bring, and bring more time for the gospel to go forward into the world. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, there's a lot here. I know that... Uh, my brothers and sisters have patiently sat through this and, and listened, Lord, and, and uh, we pray, Father, that you will take what each of us needs, uh, Father, from this, Lord, Father, and, 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 and challenge us, inspire us, equip us, Father, for how we can be salt and light in, in the current uh, cultural confusion uh, that we are going through. Uh, grant us grace to understand the spiritual and theological backdrop of all of this, and give us the courage and faith to, to speak the truth and love to our culture, now and always. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name.